Not only was John Wooden one of the best basketball coaches of all time, he was one of the best coaches in all of sports history. During his tenure at UCLA, he won 10 national championships in 12 years. He was the first man inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as both a player and a coach. And the young men who played for him went on to absolutely rule the NBA. Now, Wooden was famous for making sure that his players understood the basics of the game. And by basics, I don't mean layups or free throws or rebounds. I mean the basics of tying your shoes. So at the first practice each year, Wooden would, would gather his team in the locker room, top recruits from all over the nation. These are the best kids in the country. And he would say to them, men, this is how you put on your socks and your shoes. And what followed was a careful demonstration by the coach himself. Pull up your socks all the way. Slide your hand along the bottom of your foot to make sure there aren't any wrinkles. Put on your shoes and draw your laces evenly all the way up and then double knot them at the top. After this lesson, Wooden would explain why it mattered. If you don't put your shoes and socks on properly, you will develop blisters. A player with blisters might have to miss practice. If the whole team doesn't practice together, we won't be ready on game day. And if we're not ready, we won't play our best. So learn to tie your shoes. It's a wonderful lesson from a wise man that applies not just to basketball, but to all of life. Every new season gives us a fresh opportunity to get back to basics. Well, on March 3rd of last year, UNC Hospital reported its first case of the coronavirus. Shortly thereafter, the whole world shut down. We are only now beginning to emerge from the shock and the trauma of this worldwide pandemic. Some of you are here in worship for the first time since March because you've just completed your vaccination shots. It's, it's clear, <laughs> yes, clapping is, is certainly appropriate. <laughs> It's clear that we have a long way to go before we get back to normal, whatever that means. But it's not too soon to be talking about how we want to live and who we want to be as normal returns. All of the disruption, uncertainty, and grief of this past year, it's knocked us out of our routines and it's upended our expectations. Now this has been hard, but it does have an upside. As we get our vaccines, and we gain immunity, we have an opportunity to hit reset on our lives. We have a chance together to rethink normal. Well, in order to do that, we're gonna spend this season of Lent talking about the basics, just like Coach Wooden. We're gonna rethink normal by looking at five scenes from Jesus' ministry when he taught his followers about the basics of the Christian life. And we begin this morning with the story of Jesus' visit to the home of Martha and Mary. I hope you'll take a look at, at it with me. It's printed right here in your bulletins or you can find it in Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles at home. Now, I have always found this passage hard to swallow. As an older brother and a typical overachiever, I really sympathize with Martha. I know many of you feel the same way. We identify with Martha, and when Jesus gently rebukes her, we, we feel implicated, caught, even a little bit offended. 
Now, while I would guess that most of us are in the Martha camp, there are also some of you who identify with Mary. And your immediate reaction to, a story, to this story is relief. At long last, you say, someone is being honest about busyness and over-the-top hospitality. We read a story like this, and as we identify with Mary or Martha, we react accordingly. But there's more to understanding this story. In fact, this natural process of identifying with Martha or Mary, it actually inhibits our ability to grasp the meaning of the text. This is not a passage about different personality types, nor is it meant to be a defense of the contemplative life over the active life. This is actually a passage about Jesus, about who he is and what we choose to do with him. Jesus and his disciples are on the road and they come to a village where Martha opens up her home to them. We're told in verse 38 that Martha welcomed Jesus. This is a godly woman who receives Jesus with generosity and respect. And then she gets to work because there are men to be fed and there's a rabbi to care for. Well, meanwhile, Sister Mary disappears. Evidently, while Martha was working, Jesus was teaching his disciples. According to culture and context, Mary's place was in the kitchen alongside Martha. But instead, enraptured by Jesus' teaching, Mary plops herself down right at his feet to listen. And this is how she's described in verse 39. And this, the description is telling. Throughout Luke's gospel, the position of sitting at someone's feet indicates receptive listening along with a commitment to follow and to obey. Mary, Mary has quite naturally taken up the position of a disciple. Mary has transgressed cultural norms in order to sit at Jesus' feet. She has also transgressed the bonds of sisterly affection and left Martha all alone in the kitchen. This does not go down well with Martha. In verse 40, Luke shifts our attention from Mary back to Martha, from the quiet disciple to the, the flustered hostess. He describes Martha as being distracted with much serving. Now that verb used for distracted, it's richly metaphorical. It means to be pulled away and then to be overwhelmed and burdened. Martha's doing good things. She's doing important things. But these good things, they've pulled her away from the most important thing. Knocking her off course and overwhelming her. It is in this state that she realizes that Mary must be with the men. And so she heads straight to Jesus, apparently interrupting his teaching. And she says to him in verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Three times in one sentence, she refers to herself. My, me, me. So the entire universe revolves around the man to whom she's speaking. Except, of course, for her small corner piled up high with good things to do. That, she thinks, is her responsibility. Well, knowing what's going on inside her, Jesus looks her in the eye and he says, Martha, Martha. The repetition of her name, it's emphatic. At once revealing his affection 
and signaling a rebuke. You are anxious and troubled about many things. The word for troubled there, it's a lot more interesting in the Greek than in English. It's a, it's a word used to describe the, the uproar of a crowd. So imagine a basketball game when the ref misses a flagrant foul and the crowd goes nuts. That is Martha's internal state. She's overwhelmed and she's in an uproar. She's not thinking clearly. She, she finds herself toe-to-toe with the Lord of all creation as a result. She calls him Lord, and rightly so, but her posture, it's all wrong. Mary has said nothing, and she won't utter a single word in this whole entire little episode. But Mary's posture speaks volumes. With big sister standing over her, She's settled in at Jesus' feet. Well, Jesus continues and he offers comfort and correction. He says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, we don't know what happens next. Luke, Luke ends the story right there. We do know, however, that this relationship between Jesus and Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, it becomes one of the sweetest friendships in the Gospels. This spirited confrontation, it was just the beginning of something profound. I hope it has the same effect on us. As we rethink normal this morning, I want to draw out two basic but important lessons from this text. And the first is this, choose worship. Choose worship. Earlier in this chapter, Luke 10, Jesus asked a lawyer what the most important commandment was in scripture. And the lawyer replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied to him, he said, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. Jesus then told the story of the good Samaritan as an illustration of what it looks like to love one's neighbor. Immediately following that profound and practical lesson, Luke tells us the story of Mary and Martha. Having shown us how to love our neighbors as ourselves, Luke goes on to describe a scene in which we see what it looks like to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. In other words, he's showing us how to worship, how to fulfill the greatest commandment of all. So the center of the Christian life is worship. Our works are important, but before anything else can happen, we start with worship. That's the simple practice of honoring God for who he is, and praising him for all that he has done. Three times in this passage, Jesus is referred to as Lord. It's an intentional reminder of who this is that we're dealing with. This is the Lord of all things, the one who created us. Mary grasps that he isn't just some gifted rabbi, but he's the Lord. And so she breaks the rules and upsets the household by worshiping at his feet. A life of worship will always pull us away from social and cultural norms. Social and cultural norms, likewise, will always try to pull us away from a life of worship. There's a constant tug of war. You remember the verb that Luke used to describe Martha 
in verse 39. She was distracted, meaning she was pulled away, pulled away by all of the duties she thought she had to perform in order to honor her guest. Mary, on the other hand, is silent and still and content throughout the scene. I want you to see these two women in your mind. Mary is a picture of what happens when we make worship a priority. And Martha is a picture of what happens when we neglect it. Jesus describes Martha as anxious and troubled. Now remember the word for troubled. It refers to the rising roar of a crowd. It's, it's such a perfect word to describe the state of being overwhelmed. As Martha allowed her many responsibilities to pull her away from Jesus, the noise in her head got louder and it got louder and it got louder. We all know what this feels like. It's hard to think clearly. It's hard to make good decisions or even sleep when your head and your heart are filled with noise. Mary, on the other hand, she kind of basks in silence. Martha chose work over worship, and she suffered for it. Mary chose Jesus, and she was richly blessed. So what does this mean for us practically? It means we've got to make worship a priority, both personal worship and corporate worship. We need set-aside time every day at Jesus' feet <clears throat> to worship him. I do this first thing in the morning before checking my email, before looking at headlines, typically before I speak to anyone, because really no one wants to talk to me before I've had a little time alone with the Lord. I get a cup of tea, and I get my Bible and my notebook, and I sit with the Lord in worship, praising him for who he is and giving thanks for what he's done. There is no way I could handle all the noise of the day if I didn't first sit quietly with the Lord. Now, mornings may not work for you. You may have a, a, a baby, an infant at home who gets up before you every day. But you still need time like this every day. You need to stop and find your way to the savior of the world, the source of all meaning, and then you need to be still. One way to do this is to pick up our 40 days with the Psalms booklet. I thought I had one here with me for show and tell. Here we go. Uh, you can pick up one of these in the lobby on the big round table on your way out. If you're at home and you want one, call the church offices and we'll stick it in the mail to you. Pick it up, take it home with you. Start those daily re readings three times a day. Take 10 minutes. Three times a day, take 10 minutes. Read the appointed Psalms and then turn them into personal prayers. Now that takes discipline and it takes practice. If you're not used to this rhythm, it will take a little work. Because as you seek the Lord in worship, you are going to feel the pull of everything else in life trying to draw you away. Let the Lord win that tug of war. You need set aside time for private worship. You also need set aside time to worship with God's people. Now, we don't have time to go into all the reasons why that's necessary, but I hope it's sufficient to say that this has been God's model for his people since the creation of the world. We were made to worship together. Now, this has been hard, obviously so, during COVID. 
And for some of us, it's been virtually impossible. Tuning in online, it's been okay, but it is not the same thing as being together here in person. Which is why I wanna encourage those of you who are online, or mostly online, to come back as soon as you safely can. We'll continue to open up seats and find ways to accommodate you to the best of our ability. Now I expect the next few months will be pretty hard to navigate in this regard. As we try to find this right balance between protecting each other's physical health and responding to the real need that we have to worship together. The vestry and the staff and I will do our best to make wise decisions that take both of these needs and realities into account. I would ask you just to be patient as we do and as you've been all year. Now, I know that some of you online are staying away because you don't want to wear a mask. I get it. But I want to urge you to reconsider. I hate them just like you. They're miserable. And though I'm eager for us to shed them as soon as we can, I fear we're going to need to stick with them for a little while longer. One hour in a mask is all I'm asking. It's worth it to be with God's people in worship. We need it. And we need it, I think, more than we realize. We need to move on. If the first practical lesson is to choose worship, the second is to study Jesus. So when Mary sat down at Jesus' feet, she was worshiping him as Lord. But she was doing a lot more than this. She was declaring herself to be a disciple. She was making a commitment to learn from him, to listen to him, and to watch him carefully. Worship was the point of entry into a life of careful learning. Now we live in a loud and complex world. It is not enough for us simply to believe that Jesus is Lord. We need to learn to live with him as Lord. We need to sit at his feet and study his ways if we are ever going to have a chance at navigating life competently. Now some of you realized this early on during COVID. I've talked to many of you, and you've told me that even though this year has been hard, it's given you more time to read and study and contemplate on Scripture. You've immersed yourself in God's Word, and you've reaped the benefits of growing closer to Jesus. Others of you have immersed yourselves in social media, the news, and political commentary. It was hard not to do that this year. We had social strife, an important election, and a pandemic to keep up with, after all. But I have seen this take a toll on you. Every time you turn on the television, read an article, or glance at the headlines these days, people are shouting at you. It's exhausting, it's overwhelming, and it's confusing. The noise that filled Martha's head, it's filled our heads as well. So where do we go for help? Where where do we look to find clarity on complex issues? You know, if you want to understand how to live through challenging times, your first job is to understand the life and teaching of Jesus. Sit with him, listen to him, learn from him. In a word, study him. Now this may mean reordering your current practices of reading, watching, and listening. 
all of us, we all have masters and teachers. People that we turn to in order to help us understand the world. Now, I'm one of those for most of you. And you have others. You have favorite commentators, favorite authors, preferred news sources and websites. These can be helpful and important, but these are all secondary sources. Our primary source of wisdom and perspective is Jesus himself, and we need to study him. This means first and foremost reading the scriptures, allowing them to to fill your mind and shape your imagination. So when was the last time, when was the last time you sat down and read one of the gospels in a single day? Now it only takes an hour or two to read the gospel of Mark. Now think about the time you spend consuming other sources of information or entertainment. And ask yourself, who's your master? What am I studying? Is it Netflix? Is it Hulu? Is it Facebook? Is it Fox? In addition to scripture, another way to study Jesus is to read Christian classics. So, so much current Christian writing and reflection gets stuck in the problems of today. In order to gain perspective, we sometimes need distance. I find the wisdom of former generations incredibly helpful. So John Stott's books, The Contemporary Christian or The Cross of Christ, are immensely helpful. Along with other classics like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity or even John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And there are many, many more. We need scripture and we need classic Christian works to help guide us. You know, Martha called Jesus Lord. She knew exactly who he was, but she didn't submit to him as Lord. She just carried on with life as before, letting myriad important things pull her away to fill her heart with noise. And she was overwhelmed and she was angry as a result. We are so often the same. We call Jesus Lord, but we never take time to sit at his feet and to soak up his words. If we want to be faithful followers, we need to become determined disciples. We need to learn to study Jesus. I want to end with something we've overlooked up to this point. And it's the surprising good news at the heart of this story that everything else hinges on. And it's this, Jesus actually wants to be with you. Jesus was delighted when Mary sat down at his feet and simply listened. He didn't need anything from her, just her attention. And he wants the same from us because he delights in us and he wants to pour into us. So as you rethink normal and reconsider your priorities in the weeks ahead, ponder this simple fact. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to teach you, to feed you, to encourage you, to equip you for life in this strange and beautiful world. Choose worship, study Jesus, and normal will be even better than we remember. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we know you and we love you, but so often we do not seek you out as Lord. 
So often we set you on the periphery of things rather than at the center. May we put you back in the center where you belong. May we come to you and worship daily and corporately. May we come to you to study you, to learn from you, that we might follow you. Lord Jesus, be honored in this place. Help us to rethink our priorities as we look forward to life returning to normal in the months ahead. We praise you and commit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.